both motherhood and being a wife have been a great school for interdependence and communication and boundaries. These are lessons I'm continuing to learn, not lessons I've mastered. And so my big and little best friend, that's what I call my husband and my son, have helped teach me about myself and being in long-term, intentional, and loving relationships with other humans. They are some of my greatest teachers. Welcome back to How to Love a Human. And since it's the end of the year episode, we're wrapping up 2022 with this human. <laughs> My name is Dr. Candace Nicole Hargons, and I host the podcast How to Love a Human. I have been doing this podcast since 2017, believe it or not. And then I took an extended and overly extended break and brought back season two or a semester two to you this fall and I have enjoyed talking with humans from all walks of life revisiting some prior guests and what I never had the opportunity to do in the audio podcast that I now intend to do today is to do a self interview so for you to know what human being is bringing you this information about other humans so i'm going to be answering the questions that i ask all the guests myself and you might notice that i'm a little bit congested i got a little holiday cold because the germs out here are germing but i am really grateful to be doing this episode today and to connect with the people who have decided to be a part of the how to love a human community Thank you for being here with me on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, on Instagram, on Facebook, and wherever you found connection with me. I hope that the work that I've been doing is rewarding, is nurturing, is uplifting, is groundbreaking, is mind-opening, all of those things, because I don't want my best work locked behind academic pain walls. So here we go. So the first question I always ask folks is, are you feeling human or human AF, human as fuck? And today I am feeling human as fuck. And for me, that means I'm consciously aware of my humanity alongside my divinity. So my physical body is getting over a cold and I feel physically tired, but I also feel clear minded and open hearted. So I'm curious about when I, whenever I get sick, I think about what the illness is trying to communicate to me, what it's asking me to do differently or to think about. So right now I'm curious about what this brief period of illness has to teach me about rest and diet and connection with others and boundaries rather than feeling upset that I'm sick. I'm also thinking about what it means to be alive and that's distinctly human alive and i'm coming upon nearly 40 years of life my birthday's next month and how my sense of humanity has shifted in that time i've become much more aware that i'm human as fuck not superhuman and not subhuman and this is liberating because to strive for superhumanity which i've done 
for a good part of my life, especially in my teens and 20s, was uh, taxing. And to some degree, it suggests endorsement of superiority, that some humans can be superior to others, and that just isn't true. I don't believe that's true. And so on the other side of that equation, accepting the myth that I'm subhuman in any way also cost me the peace and pleasure of self-acceptance. And I've been in that space too. So like most human beings, you get kind of pulled into the seductive human hierarchy thing that we do with humans. And that superhuman ideal is at the top with this like really narrow window of who will make it there based on any number of privileged identities and intersections of multiple privileged identities. And then subhuman based on any number of intersecting marginalized identities. And then we have this hierarchy, like your proximity to whiteness or maleness or able, all of these things. And to really divest from that idea that there is a hierarchy, that there's a better or worse has been really meaningful to me. And I feel like it's just in the past few years that I've come to understand what that means for me. So I've also, been really considerate of what that means for others for much longer than I have about what it means for me and that what it means for me part is the most liberating. And so to wrap that question up, being human as fuck is a signifier that I am no better or worse than any other human, that better or worse doesn't even exist in the type of liberation I desire. And the asphalt keeps me connected to all things, which is something I forget often. So not just other humans, but the world, living things, the earth. And with the snow cyclone that we got going on out here in Kentucky, look, the, 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 the environment is telling me something. It's telling us something about how we've been treating it. And the reciprocity ain't there. And it don't like it. All right, so my next question is, uh, share your most salient identities with me. So my most salient identities, and when I say salient, I mean the ones that are most top of mind or present for me in this moment, so it can shift from moment to moment. But for right now, my most salient identities are black woman, mother, wife, professor, psychologist, and newly middle class. So some of these are marginalized identities, some of them are privileged identities, some of them come with lots of cultural loading about what they mean, and there are ideals ascribed to many of them, and what makes them salient. So they stand out for me in a number of ways. I'll start with blackness, because that's what I started with. Blackness is one of my favorite things. <laughs> I enjoy black culture. And American blackness is my particular diasporic culture, but I've traveled to South Africa and several Caribbean countries, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago. And I'm in community with people from other cultures in the African diaspora, so I fuck with blackness in its many forms. That doesn't mean that blackness is like an ideal, as we talked about, not endorsing this idea of a human hierarchy, but I like it. I really enjoy it. I experience a lot of pleasure from being black and learning to love my blackness and beginning to understand the multifaceted ways that blackness can be and show up. So being an awkward black girl and being a smart black girl and being a 
talented black girl and a cool black girl and a hot black girl and a fast black girl. I've been all of those things and am all of those things. And sometimes people act like you can't be all of that. Like you're not really black if you're um, too nerdy or too awkward. You're not really black if you're too fast. All of those things. And so recognizing and being in community with lots of amazing black people and raggedy black people too because you know we run the gamut has really been transformative for me and the way I love and enjoy blackness and makes it salient all the time so I feel like a black person and a black woman all the time and you'll see I'm repping my um my Spelman sweatshirt and so I'm a Spelman alumna and being able to be in community with black women in particular for four years of my life, especially at a time where I graduated from a predominantly white high school and being in this amazing community of some of the smartest, most beautiful, talented black women ever, just, I mean, it kind of grounded me in the idea that blackness is an amazing part of my identity. And so it's always salient for me in that way and black woman at that intersection in particular. But to be honest, the the woman part, embracing womanhood has been a hard one journey. So I've always felt like a girl and a woman, but I've never been what most people would describe as typically feminine. Even though most people don't know what the fuck they mean when they say typically feminine, we're stereotypically feminine. So as you notice, I'm a dark skinned, uh, 4C, nappy haired black woman. And the world I lived in growing up in the 80s and 90s had other white, straight-haired ideals about femininity. Um, certain aspects of femininity were more prized than others as it related to personality attributes, too. So I was culturally excluded from femininity. And frankly, I made some, old, some personal exclusions, like traditional femininity didn't seem practical or safe for me. I grew up in a family of mostly girls and women, a community of aunties and single mothers. We were surrounded by womanhood in all the ways that womanhood could be. And many of them were striving for economic opportunities that people wanted to exclude them from. There was a lot of domestic violence and substance use from some of the men and absence from some of the other men too. So embracing traditional femininity to be submissive to them seemed like asking to be harmed. And I wasn't really with that. But on the other side of it, the more toxic side for me, competing with men and winning and at the same time still craving boy attention on many levels felt like a safer, more future rewarding option. So as I've aged and evolved, divested from some aspects of gender constructs and stopped using competition for fake freedom as a way to get my needs met or to reach for opportunities, I explored what femininity and womanhood can and do mean for me. So what I like to say is that, you know, I like Alice Walker's womanist, womanish type of vibe. Like I'm deeply womanly, nurturing, loving, creative, magnetic, powerful, grounded, but I'm not especially femme. I don't know if y'all heard of the futch scale. Uh, the fooch scale, the footch scale, how do you pronounce it? Uh, uh, but it's the scale and it was born out of the tradition of queer women or lesbian women's identities that I like to draw from 
queer theory and black feminist queer theories a lot. And so I thought this scale was really helpful because uh, it gives like a one to 10 representation of like extreme femme to stone butch. And so I took this quiz about it and it says I'm like soft androgyny. <laughs> I asked my husband what he thought, like, where I ranked, and he said probably a 3.5 or 4 that's in the femme range. So, like, extreme femme would be 1, and then 2 through 4 would be, like, regular femme, and then, like, soft butch or futch would be, like, 5, and then, uh, like, everything on the 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 would move toward the masculine more so and so I say that I'm probably like a 3.5 or a 4 and it really depends on the day which resonates with me and I'm good with that balance like that feels like a good balance for me um even though it's been pathologized y'all know some of the stuff that's out here in social media be talking about like black women aren't feminine enough or too masculine emasculating all of these things like I feel like I'm balanced and I like that um, and so, as an example, I will pay people to cook and clean for me every day of the week if I could. But my husband is our family chef, and I'm cool with cleaning and organizing and maintenance work like that. My mothering is focused on one son that I have, but it expands to my many mentees and younger siblings when we were growing up, and my wifing is kind of focused on my one husband. And that balance of being around boy and man energy and my own kind of like moderate femme, I think is how you get at me. So I'm really comfortable in sweats and stuff like that. And I don't get made up very often, but when I do, I do. You know, I like, I like to put on a little lip, a little lash, and a little heel every now and again and have a little nail, you know. So it's a little it's a good balance. I fuck with it. Um, so talking about motherhood as an identity and being a wife as an identity. Um, my husband and I we choose monogamy at this stage in our relationship. That's our partnership structure, but we've discussed ethical non monogamy as an option and we, you know, are open to discussing it as a future possibility. And that's really a part of our own growth and evolution as a spiritual partners, as a married people, to be like, what is marriage? What do we want it to mean for us? Uh, what has it meant? What ideas did we have about marriage before we were married that we brought into it that don't serve us well? What ideas do we have that probably would serve us well, but we're not able to realize them yet? And so a lot of things are on the table as we remain flexible and communicative with each other. But both motherhood and being a wife have been a great school for interdependence and communication and boundaries. These are lessons I'm continuing to learn, not lessons I've mastered. And so my big and little best friend, that's what I call my husband and my son, have helped teach me about myself and being in long-term, intentional, and loving relationships with other humans. They are some of my greatest teachers. And then what I added in other identities that are salient being a professor and a researcher is tied to that because that's a major part of my role and a licensed psychologist 
So those are my professional identities because of the education that I have had to get, had to go through that were required to become a professor and a psychologist. I'm now middle class, even though I grew up working class. So transition class has been an interesting experience, especially in a capitalist society. So I regularly sit with how invested I've been in elitism and how invested I have been in capitalism, how they support each other, even as I was actively seeking to dismantle racism in many of those same academic spaces. So I'm always open to just questioning myself, challenging myself, because it's a mind fuck. What I love about being a professor, though, is that I can study all of the things I'm interested in. So I can study the intersection of racism and elitism and capitalism and sexualities. I can, my primary interests are in sexual wellness and intersectional liberation. And so teaching other people how to study it too, amazing. So I approach my work through a hot girl science paradigm. I got a paper about that. I'll post it about what that means to me as a researcher and as a psychologist. I get to be a healer and I've worked with clients on issues like anxiety and depression and racial trauma, sexual wellness, grief, adjustment to normal life stressors. And even though I was trained relatively traditionally, I've been a healer for longer than I've been a psychologist, longer than my graduate training. So I get to use them old skills and my new skills in work and it's dope. Um, what about other identities I may not have mentioned? Well, I didn't mention sexual identity, body size, age, ability status, and a bunch of others that I couldn't mention that are less salient. I identify as heterosexual in that I've been romantically and sexually attracted to and engaged with only men. I'm slim bodied. That means I benefit from the privilege of having a size six body in a world that does everything from dehumanized fat and bigger body people to excluding them from participating comfortably in simple experiences like flying. Um, and heterosexuality means that I have the privilege of being openly affectionate with my husband and having all types of policies and laws encourage and support the type of relationship structure we have and religious institutions saying that my way of loving and relating romantically is the only right way and so lots of benefits and privileges related to that um age i'm approaching 40 so i'm middle-aged uh but still in that window that doesn't experience ageism so people expect professionals to be my age they assume a certain level of cognitive and physical ability based on my age and so they don't like patronize me or infantilize me because of my age like i'm not at that level of age and they also you know treat me like i've earned the right to be in the room like i've had enough time in the game time in the term um that also feeds into ability status so i'm someone who has dealt with as many black women have severe reproductive health problems, but I'm largely recovered from them after surgical intervention. Other than that, I am able-bodied and neurotypical, which also comes with great privilege in how I navigate time and perception and space, and usually with little to no pain or need for accommodation. So those are some of my identities. And I also like to share them because it informs the standpoint that I can bring to any discussion. Folks will 
be able to offer me critique and challenge and invitation to learn and grow based on my privileged identities and the places where they notice you kind of slip in something about that is maintaining systemic and interpersonal oppression and some of the areas where I'm marginalized I've deepened my ability to engage in self-love and recover from some of the harm that's been done based on those marginalizations and that helps me transition to the next question what does love mean to me mm. love means a commitment to reverence for all living things and even inanimate non-living things sometimes because of their association or relationship to people and humans that have um, who are living seeing the inherent worth even if there is no way I can benefit or stand to gain from it so seeing the inherent worth in everything from another human being to blades of grass and trees and I'm not really like a crunchy person but I am learning as I evolve and mature we're all connected everything is connected so interdependence like I talked about a little bit earlier is really present and relevant for me right now and it's tough interdependence is not easy but if you're trying to get to like a symbiotic relationship where we balance each other out you have to recognize that interdependence is a real thing so loving humans means that I believe that human any human really should live fully and well shout out to bell hooks and that I don't get to define living fully and well for them as long as it doesn't violate the well-being and rights of other humans for me love is a decision and a practice in releasing the desire to control other people my love style before I had my own therapy and before I had long-term committed relationships to practice in was really about like controlling possessing as opposed to acknowledging blessing having reverence for caring for and I didn't even know it because of the frameworks that we had for love so love to me is about that intentional care practice for others having reverence for myself in relationships with people as well so as an example the more I practice loving myself the better I eat the more I move my body the more I release fear of all kinds I learned to float and swim this summer to conquer my fear of deep water I'm still learning too. like I learned to backstroke and I can do a little bit of freestyle but I'm gonna get back at it keep learning and that was an act of self-love because love and fear don't work well together and building on that what would the world be like if it loved me I feel like if the world loved me if it showed up like a good loving world everyone who desired housing would be housed no humans would be hungry we'd use our best minds to course correct on our climate and environmental violations we couldn't look at other humans and choose to harm them but when we made harmful choices unintentionally we'd have the level of accountability where apology and repair were par for the course in relationships we wouldn't hide and pretend gaslight people into thinking that the harm didn't happen uh, 
education system would be thorough, designed to help every child learn who they are and their greatest potentials, with histories of all peoples available to learn, taught as if they're equally as valuable. Health care would be readily available to all people, including mental health care, but there'd be much less need for those services because our preventative care services would be budgeted at the level of what our current military is. Like we would be exceptionally well fit. Uh, humans would come to no pleasure without needing to hoard or exploit or dominate. Kids would bask in their joy. Elders would be ushered into death at a normal pace with whatever comes next with gratitude. So it would be a world that some people think is idyllic, but I've been reading about Afrofuturism as a frame. And so I love using my radical imagination to envision the world because when I envision something, I work toward it. I'm, I'm magical in that way, and I like that. Uh, what identities do I sometimes struggle to love in others? This is a tough one because I think it has shifted. Because courage is really like one of my biggest values, I used to really struggle to love people in whom I saw cowardice. But what I think I was missing at that time was that cowardice may look like cowardice to me, but it could be strategy to them or harm reduction to them or, you know, them having more at stake than I have at stake, not accounting for their marginalization and their, their life and their context. And so having a little bit more compassion for that now not letting people off the hook, because if you could do something, please, you know, do something to remedy injustices as you experience them or see them, but that's not gonna work the same way for everyone. Um, I struggle to love people who are invested in harming black women. So there are some people who, because they've been socialized in anti-blackness and sexism, they have a disdain for black women. And I think all disdain for any humans and black women are a part of that humanity comes from like a personal feeling of impotence or incompetence um, at some level. So of course, I think people who hate black women and strive to harm black women struggle with loving themselves. But um, people who direct that, project that, self-hatred onto black women who try to dehumanize us and experience our ways of being as uh, as ugly, as distasteful, using words like ghetto and stuff like that. Like I struggle to love people like that because when they don't have my well-being in mind, it makes it tough for me to hold theirs I try to make it a practice to do that. Loving kindness meditation is a part of that practice for me. But yeah, I don't always get it right. And sometimes a good clap back feels really satisfying. So I've been working on that. And my last question is, what do I love most about me? Mm. I love my brilliance and curiosity. 
meaning my ability and desire to learn. I'm the type of person that will continue to learn for as long as my brain allows me to, as long as my body allows me to. Learning was one of those things, like I enjoyed reading and writing since I could read and write, and it opened me up to so many worlds outside of the small town I was raised in during my early life. And even as a person who has completed a PhD and teaches other people, like guides other people through the PhD process, like I love learning with them. I don't feel like I'm just teaching them. I feel like I'm learning alongside people that chose to be mentored by me. Um, learning with my son, learning with my husband, learning with people who really love me enough to want to learn with me. Like that, that's something I really love about myself. It keeps me humble, even when I know my stuff. I know there's other stuff to know that I can't learn and know everything. And so that, and being brilliant, meaning the way I synthesize knowledge, the things I see and the things I know, some of them formally, and some of them intuitively, I love that about myself. Like I can walk into a room and read a room. And I can read a text and synthesize it with something else and really draw out the material in an interesting way. So I like that. Uh, and I use, I get to use that skill in the work that I do, which is why I have my dream job. And so those are my answers to the questions and I'll probably revisit this at the end of each year just to see how I evolve along with the humans that I get a chance to interview so thank you so much for joining this community staying with this community if you've got things you want to learn with me people you want to see me interview or have as guests on how to love a human feel free and ooh, Plot twist, I got another podcast coming in January. So my birthday, my 40th is in January, and I'm launching my second podcast. I'm so excited about it because it focuses on sexual liberation. It's called Fuck the System. And one of my mentees, Manye Kearney, gave me that title. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to just, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with it. And, you know, I like to drop an F-bomb every now and again, so it just hit for me. But in it, I'm going to be talking to some of your favorite sexologists, uh, sex educators, sex therapists, sex workers, scholars, activists in sexual liberation, theorists, um, YouTubers, social media, sex educators, like any number of people who got something thoughtful to say about sex and how we realize sexual liberation we will be doing that on Fuck the System. And I'll be using three frames, intimate justice, pleasure worthiness, and disrespectability politics to talk my shit about sexual liberation. So if that's the type of content that interests you, holler at me in January when the first episode debuts, and it'll be bi-weekly just like How to Love a Human is. So they'll alternate weeks and you'll get a chance to see both. Basically, my mantra is, love humans and fuck systems so <laughs> systems of oppression that is so y'all take good care and that is how to love a human